Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy Collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Welcome to The Laverne Cox Show, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Whether it's forums targeting trans people online or governors targeting trans people in an entire state, fear is how they achieve it. They isolate the community from everyone else. They deprive us of allies by striking fear in allies to speak up because they raise the cost, right? Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Laverne Cox Show. I'm Laverne Cox. So I'm recording this on June 27th, 2023, and this year over 500 pieces of anti-LGBTQ plus legislation has been introduced in state legislatures all over the country. And part of the way I've tried to stay informed and up to date is by following an amazing person named Alejandra Carabayo. Recently, I've heard her speak in a few different forums and find that the way that she talks about these issues, the urgency that she brings to it, as well as a depth of knowledge, made me want to do a follow-up to the conversation I had with Peppermint and Chase earlier in the season. Alejandra Caraballo is a civil rights attorney, clinical instructor at the Harvard Law School Cyber Clinic, and a transgender rights advocate. Alejandra previously litigated trans healthcare cases at the Transgender Legal Defense and Education Fund and provided immigration assistance to LGBTQ plus New Yorkers at the New York Legal Assistance Group. Last year, she testified in front of the U.S. House Committee on Oversight and Reform to discuss the pressing issues of rising white supremacy and hate toward the LGBTQ plus population and the role social media continues to play in making it worse. Alejandra previously served as the secretary of the LGBTQ plus rights committee of the New York City Bar Association and was appointed the first openly trans community board member in Brooklyn. Please enjoy my conversation with Alejandra Caraballo. 
Hello, Alejandra. Welcome to the podcast. How are you feeling today? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm doing well. I just got back from uh, spending a weekend in Fire Island and getting engaged to my uh, now fiance. Oh my God, congratulations. So when you went to Fire Island, was that the plan that you were going to get engaged or was it like someone proposed, like, tell me. <laughs> oh yeah, it was definitely the plan. Actually, I was going to surprise her and she foiled my plans last week because I can't keep anything from her. She like, I went to the jewelry store to go like uh, put in the order for the ring and like all this stuff. And literally that same day, she's like, where were you today? Amazing. So you did the proposal. Congratulations. Yeah. So you are, I, I, this is beautiful. So you're presumably in love. How long have you been with your partner, with your now fiance? Yeah, just about a year. Actually, so we, we were official starting in June of last year when we that's the reason why it was Fire Island in particular, because we got together officially at Fire Island. Amazing. I've only been to Fire Island um, twice, actually. Once on like the gay part, and then once like there's a, there's like a less gay part of Fire Island. I, I had this like beautiful moment with Wanda Sykes, actually. I just randomly ran into oh. her. Like I was just eating dinner and uh, I was coming down from Cherry Lane and she was there and I was like, I, I'm horrible at facial recognition i am I, like borderline face blind and i was like i that looks like one of sykes and i heard her voice and i was like that's one of sykes and i just was like i just wanted to thank her for what she said about trans folks and her special mm -hmm. and defending trans folks on her press tour like uh, promoting her special mm -hmm. and then she was just because she was dancing there with her partner and then she just started dancing with me and i was like okay i guess i'm gonna start dancing and then she's like do you want to hug and i was like I would love one. And she just gave me this like really warm, like embracing mm. hug. And she's a true mensch and just absolutely wonderful person. So sorry. I just, I know I derail the conversation with that. But. No, it's actually not a derail at all because I think, you know, I, we had a, con I had a conversation on this podcast with Chase Strangio and my friend Peppermint several months ago. And we were sort of talking about the state of trans bills and whatnot. And I had done a podcast with Chase in the first season of this show, sort of talking about like right-wing propaganda and misinformation. And we were playing clips and I left that conversation traumatized. I I literally cried for 30 minutes after that conversation. I was like, I cannot have these conversations in ways that re-traumatize me. And I realized last week that um, I, I just finished a show. I was shooting a show in Georgia and I was just sort of like, pushing down the feelings of devastation and like now I'm just deal okay yeah this is devastating and I'm just trying to tell the truth to myself about it so I can like actually you know I'm all about both and but I like sometimes I and and I don't both <laughs> and so I don't deal with the thing that like is challenging and like I push it down and so like yeah I'm devastated and I'm just I don't want to be re-traumatized because I you're trans too so you may you can probably relate to this that like there is the sense of like for me just like put my safety and public as a trans woman of color it's just been it's been like a thing my whole life of not feeling safe and then like the state sanctioned violence and so it's just like adds another layer of trauma when the state is you know banning gender affirming care for my community and I'm not sure if I will personally be affected, but it's not even about me. It's about justice. It's about I love and I love trans people. I love us. I think we're amazing. So starting the podcast with talking about you being in love, like in that you are in the 
depths of like tracking anti-trans bills. And you, I mean, this is a huge part of your life, but in the face of that, you can get engaged, that there's love in your life, that you met Wanda Sykes and danced with her and got a hug from her at Fire Island is like the and of the both and. And that being in spaces of community, I was at Stonewall Day here in New York and just got my life. Like I hadn't been, I love being around trans people and we were just having a kiki backstage and like, fully aware of the devastation of what's going on, but like finding ways to have joy and to laugh about it. It's like so important. So I think that like so much of what's going on is so dehumanizing and you being in love, you like, you know, being starstruck, your humanity, like you getting to have all of that while you do this other work is like, I think really important. So I don't think it's off subject at all. Um, It's absolutely so important to continue to have joy. It's one of the things that I always like hold true to myself is that it's the one thing they can't take from me as much as they try, right? Like they can pass these laws, they can, you know, do all the hateful things that they do, but we still have our community and we still have each other. And if we don't recognize what we still have and find joy in that and our mm-hmm. friends, our family, our loved ones, or our community, then that's when they really win. And so we still have to yeah. be able to find our moments of joy despite how hopeless the situation sometimes feels and how dark it is, because like that's what makes yeah. it worth living and fighting. Cause that's what we, you know, it's what we're fighting to make sure everyone can have. And these laws, and it I mean it's it, there's a lot of things going on. I mean, um, but They're happening in part as a backlash to the progress that we have made, that we were more visible now than we've ever been. And this is a backlash to that. So that's part of the context of this. So with all of that having been said, let's get into the state of things. So, um, Where are we with anti-trans legislation that's been introduced and then what's been passed? Yeah, yeah. It's well over 500 bills, I think, our tracker, which it just... Towards the end, we kind of were just so inundated tracking so many bills. We, we, because it was just every day was a legislative hearing and it was just something new and so much going on. But we have at least 532 bills, uh, about uh, 68 that we've tracked as enacted, uh, which is is a lot higher than, than ever. Passed into law. Yes. This is everything from don't say gay bills to gender affirming care bans, drag bans, drag bans. Uh, and we are what at, at 20 states now that have banned gender affirming care for minors. Uh, well, I don't know. It's tough because it's changing every single day. There's so much to keep track of because now we're past the legislative cycle and we're into litigation season. So this is when yes. all of these things are starting to get blocked in the courts. And so I believe already Florida's was briefly limited. Their Medicaid ban was limited. Our, obviously, Arkansas and Alabama are already enjoined. Uh, and for those who don't know, enjoined means uh, that the court orders that something stopped being enforced. So basically, like it's highly likely within the next year to two years, we see a cert petition go to the Supreme Court. Yeah, yeah. That feels inevitable with the, yeah, it feels inevitable at this point. So, wow, wow. Okay, so... I don't like to get too much in the muck of this because ultimately I don't think the government should be involved in making decisions about people's bodies, like period, point blank. So none of this should be up for debate whether they're children or adults. This is none of your business. That's my like position. But with that being said, like, what are we basically looking at with these gender affirming care bans? Is there an overview of like what tends to be banned just so folks can understand who might not know? 
Yeah. So there's kind of different grades of how they did it in the States. They're pretty much all built on the same template legislation that was pushed by far right groups uh, called the SAFE Act or Save Adolescents from Experimentation Act. Um, There's a bit of a difference in how they enforce these bans. Some of them criminalize it, make it a felony, uh, such as Alabama. Others Mm -hmm. go through medical licensing, such as Florida, to try and revoke licensing, although the legislature that passed the ban after the medical board did include criminal penalties, including a felony for gender-affirming care. And so there there's a, a runs the gamut on how they're done, but the vast majority just outright criminalize this care. And others, such as Arkansas, they had done a you know an outright ban. They were the first state to do so uh, two years ago. And it had been enjoined since that time. So now what they're doing is they're trying to follow this SBA Texas bounty hunter style bill, where it's not necessarily a bounty in per se, but what it allows is, is to increase legal liability so people can be o- open to civil suit, in this case, medical malpractice. And the liability is, is basically completely open-ended. It, it, it extends the liability for decades, and it, it builds in basically a medical framework around malpractice in a way that the legislature is directly engaged in the practice of medicine. And I'm concerned about Arkansas because they passed this law basically to try and circumvent the injunction on the ban that had been in place for the last two years. And that's increasingly a tactic that we're seeing. They're increasing malpractice to be from one or two years to 30 years and essentially trying to regulate Mm -hmm. the profession. And so we're seeing essentially the same kinds of things that they did to abortion care a decade ago, the trap style laws, the targeted regulation of abortion providers. They're doing the same thing. If they can't get these big bans through that criminalize the care, well, they're going to do it a death by a thousand cuts to make it essentially imp- impossible to access care. Yeah, I mean, Florida's nurse practitioner ban is a re- was a really good example of that, right? So, like nurse practitioners, that's been enjoined too at this point. But uh, it still applies to nur- nurse practitioners are still criminalized if they practice gender affirming care in the state of Florida. And the injunction that they got, oh. yeah, the injunction they got was extremely limited and only applies to the plaintiffs. So. Uh, that was a very mixed bag decision. Oh, I was confused about that. Yeah, no, it, it's difficult. And and right now the orgs are overwhelmed. There, there's they flooded the zone with so many bills that the, essentially there there isn't the capa- as much capacity now to challenge all these bills in the way that they would have been a year or two years ago. Hmm. Okay. There's so much minutia. And I thought like I was informed, somewhat informed on this. That's part of the reason I wanted to talk to you because I know there's so much nuance of these things that it's just almost impossible if you're not a lawyer. And then I think the biggest piece that I wanted to focus on even beyond the legislation is the impact. It feels like kind of so much of the way in which this conversation has happened, and I, I think it's so important to like just state over and over again how consent has been manufactured by right-wing media, by social media, by mainstream corporate media that the center left to, you know, dehumanize us and then pass these bills. So the humanizing trans people and how we have discussions about this, I think are critically important. But in a way, we're like even beyond that because the laws are so, we're so in this minutia of like 
so many detailed like backdoor ways of basically banning care and then putting the fear of God into medical care providers, right? And we're seeing this happen with abortion too, where it's like, well, if there's rape and, you know, incest exceptions, how do you prove that? And like, if the life of the pregnant person is in danger, at what point is their life in danger? And it's like, we can't perform the abortion until you're bleeding out, until you're like really on the verge. So it, it... It's like the healthcare professionals get like so weary and like the, and so they just, they were like, I can't deal. I can't risk malpractice. I can't risk losing my license. I can't risk going to jail. And so people are just cut off from care. And we're seeing people flee states. I was just in Georgia shooting a show and some of my coworkers met a couple who had just moved from Florida to Savannah because of everything that's happening in Florida. And they were, you know, the bathroom ban. And did they were just like, this? it's really scary to be trans in Florida. And the Campaign for Southern Equality, I, who I became aware of, they're helping, you know, provide grants to people to flee states and even flee the country some organizations are working on. So there's like the impact, I know I'm all over the place, but the impact of these laws on like the ability for people to access care who may be, you know, just living in fear. Yeah, so I'm originally from Florida, born and raised there, went to college there. My family all still lives in Florida. So, oh, wow. you know, I, I, have, I have close connections there and I've been working with a lot of activists on the ground there, uh, helping to amplify and boost messaging and try to really hone in because it's very personal to me uh, what's going on in Florida. And it's just, it's terrifying. It's something that I've struggled with on how, you know, being a visible person, like how to talk about this, how to get the attention from like our cis allies and adequately convey the depths of how bad this is without trying to essentially traumatize our community further and cause them to spiral into panic, which at this point it is a five alarm fire, right? So it's really difficult to strike that balance. And oftentimes I have folks in the movement that are like, you're being too alarmist. And I was, I, you know, I pulled tweets from March when the bill was first introduced, SB 254 in Florida, that was going to severely limit gender affirming care for adults. And I was saying from day one, I was, this would be significantly disruptive for the vast majority of care is provided by nurse practitioners. The way that this would work in practice would severely eliminate access to care to make it effectively impossible. And now the informed consent proposals through the medical board would effectively make gender-affirming care impossible to obtain. Can you talk about the informed consent proposal? I'm actually not familiar with that. that yeah. Piece. There's so many elements of these laws. <laughs> that's, yeah, it's death by the administrative state. And that's why DeSantis is, is, is particularly terrifying in, in that aspect, because they know how to kind of push these things behind the scenes. But essentially, mm-hmm. the, the form consent is, is being pushed by the medical board. So now the nurse practitioners and physicians as assistants cannot prescribe gender-affirming care. It's only relegated to doctors, which is governed by the Board of Medicine, which is appointed by DeSantis. And he's stocked it full of political hacks and people who've donated to his campaign and people who are ideologically opposed to the existence of trans people. And so they're now dictating the standards, right? And so they're trying to put in this like informed consent process. And now this informed consent process would require a suicide assessment every three months, whether or not that's medically necessary or not, requires mandatory psychiatric or therapy care. Uh, 
bone density scans once a year, at least uh, a full assessment, I think believe once every six months, you have to get blood work every three months. I like tallied it all up. So I was like, if you're doing weekly therapy or doing these bone scans, you're doing the, like all of this, it's like 60 something plus appointments and something like a bone scan or blood work. Like that's not, you don't just like that's not a quick five minute thing and you can't do that via telemedicine. And now telemedicine is essentially kind of limited as well. So you have to go in person. I've been on estrogen for 20, for 25 years. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, and like, I'm like, I'm vigilant about my blood work. I've been very, you know, I've been a good little trans patient or whatever. Bone density. <laughs> Yeah, just like no. what are they so doing? That's what they turn the misinformation around, like trans youth, and you know, courtesy partially of the New York Times, like pushing these kind of uh, d- disinformation around bone density and puberty blockers to now apply to adults that this is not an issue. And like, pr- this is why I say this is like kind of an underhanded way because they're like, oh well, bone density scans. Well, I guess I'll get that. Well, unless it's medically necessary, your insurance is not going to cover it. And so you go in for your bone density scan, they're like, oh, the DEXA scan is going to cost like. $2,000. That was another thing. I'm like, who? Yeah. They're not, they don't, they, there's not an expansion of Medicaid in Florida and most states. Like, we yeah. don't have universal health care. It's like, yeah. that is what, like, finance <laughs> this. And I think that's also the issue, too. It's like the barrier to like people acting like it's so easy to get gender affirming care when we don't have like national health care in this country. Exactly. And they're trying to roll back the standards basically to what it was in the 80s and 90s, where it was like basically impossible. You have to years and years of therapy that was heavily gate capped and uh, you know, permitless carry in Florida is about to be enacted within the next week. And so that goes into effect. So you can just walk in with no training, no permit, no nothing, just get a handgun and carry it concealed all around the state, wherever you want. No mental health assessment, nothing. But if you want to get hormones, you've got to go through this like intensive step process. And I'm like, what is going on here, right? What is going on? I think that the message to our allies is that, again, I mean, and I've said this before, but I think it's important to say again, a lot of folks are like, well, when it comes to children and gender from a career, that's up for debate. No, no, it's not something that should be debated. At the end of the day, the objective all the legislators of all the organizations who have introduced this legislation is to erase and to eliminate trans people from, as Michael Knowles said, we want to eliminate transgenderism from public life. He said transgenderism, but he meant trans people. Like, uh, that's what effectively is going on here. They don't want us to exist. And that sounds extremist, alarmist, using words like genocide seems... People want to say it's hyperbolic, but it's just, there's too much evidence. Yeah. Oh, honey, how's that for a little truth? We'll be right back. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. 
And now in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. All righty, we're back. Then I think beyond the medical piece, coupled with drag bands, it's like for our non-binary siblings, for our drag siblings who don't necessarily need any kind of gender-affirming care, you can't even put on a wig or, you know, (laughs) bind or whatever it is, you know, somebody needs to do. So the combination of all these laws is about erasing trans and gender non-conforming people from existence. That is the goal. That's exactly what it is. And, you know, you really get into specifics, right? Going back to Florida and, and why people are fleeing. Like you, you, just, you mentioned this family that left and moved to Savannah with the reason why, right? So now they're banning gender affirming care coverage for our state employees entirely, but not just state employees, any governmental entity. So like county employees. So that includes your teachers, includes your firefighters, your police officers, all of that, right? So that's all public employees throughout the state, or, you know, their coverage is going to be banned. So now you have the bathroom ban that would make it potentially a crime for trans people to use the bathroom at any state-owned facility or government-owned facility, which that includes airports, convention centers, state parks, stadiums. So it's incredibly broad. And then you have the don't say gay laws, which basically force LGBTQ people out of teaching entirely and erase our our existence now up through 12th grade. Before it was, oh, it's just through third grade, but now it's through 12th. It's that's not about protecting kids. That was the pretext. And so when you look at it in its totality, what you see is all of this legislation is effectively designed to eradicate trans people from public life. It is to drive us out of the state. And they are cheering because Ron DeSantis' press person literally was cheering at the fact that LGBTQ people were fleeing the state. This, that's what they want. And then the ones that stay behind to, to be quiet, to go back in the closet, to not stick your head out and to 
to basically, you know, exist in the shadows. And that's what they're trying to do. And they're trying to do this through legislation. And they are succeeding so far. So far, they are succeeding. Can you just tell, I mean, the, the I, I just find the um, bathroom ban in uh, Florida particularly egregious. Can you just, girl, um, can you just <laughs> tell the folks who might not be aware of the specificity of the bathroom ban in Florida? Yeah. Honey. <laughs> this one is like, this is it, it is the most convoluted one. It's partially to avoid legal liability, to make lawsuits difficult. So at the last minute, originally it was supposed to apply to private entities. But now it applies only to state-owned or government-owned, which is very broad, which means obviously like stadiums and airports that are usually owned by these like authorities that are pushed out by the the local governments, by the cities. Uh, But it also applies to all post-secondary education and schools. So all public schools, obviously, but it also applies to universities. And what it does is it also empowers, like even before they passed the drag ban in Florida, Governor DeSantis was using the Department of Professional Regulation to target venues that hosted drag by stripping them of their liquor licenses. What this does is the same thing on steroids. While there is a provision to make it a misdemeanor crime for a trans person to use a bathroom and not leave when someone asks them to, that's when the crime is committed. So basically, it's a passing test. So a cis person, a cis, my understanding, a cis person, if they see a trans person or someone they think is trans, right? Because this happens too. They think somebody's trans and they really aren't. They have the right to ask the trans person to leave the bathroom. And if the trans person does not leave, they can be arrested and go to jail for a year. This is my understanding of the law. Is that correct? to get yeah, to misdemeanor, yes. But it's also limited to specific state employees. So it's like very convoluted on who can ask the person to leave. But then the state employees themselves aren't subject to these restrictions to use the bathroom. It is the most ridiculous law. I don't think it's meant to stand. But the other aspect of it is that it empowers the, the Department of, of Business Regulations and the Attorney General to enforce this. And what they can do is basically do this by fear. And this is what I was more worried about when it was, additionally, when it was the private portion before they stripped that out and realized that it, when it applied to Disney and all these other places that they were going to have a huge problem. But what they're trying to do is weaponize business regulations. And that those provisions are still in there. So what they can still do is say, Hey, Raymond James Stadium in Tampa where, you know, the Bucks play and, and, you know, where Beyonce plays when she comes to town, uh, you know, They'll, they'll be like, hey, we could strip you of your liquor license if you don't comply with this bathroom ban. And they can threaten that. And the other way that they do this is what I call troll legislation. The, so what they do is it's the same thing with don't say gay. I love that. I love that troll legislation. <laughs> that is so aptly named. Girl, that is genius. Like they're trolling us in the legislature. It's, yeah, so it's not even just trolling us, but... <laughs> trolling everybody. <laughs> yeah, they're trolling everybody because... So last year, the perfect example of this, I think Don't Say Gay, I think was the perfect example of a troll legislation, right? Because whenever they got hammered on it, the first thing they would say, tell me where it says gay in the legislation, right? And then it's like, <laughs> it says sexual orientation. What do you think? Like... You know, we know what you mean when you apply sexual orientation and say discussions of sexual orientation. We know what you mean, right? And so they write these things vaguely and they know who they're going to target, right? It's the same maxim that's always been used. There are in-groups for whom the law protects but does not bind. There are out-groups for whom the law 
binds but does not protect. That's exactly it, right? So we know when it's... Can you say that again? I've never heard that before. Is that like a, a professor thing? I believe, I don't remember exactly who said it, but I think it might have been Francis Wilhoy or Frank Wilhoy. Uh, that is beautiful. That's yeah. beautifully put. Can you say that one more time? So there are in-groups for whom the law protects but does not bind. And there are out-groups for whom the law binds but does not protect. And I think that is the oh. perfect encapsulation. So if you view that oh. through the lens of straight people versus queer people in schools, well, straight person's not going to be questioned about talking about sexual orientation if a woman mentions her husband. But if a woman mentions her wife, oh, well, now you get in discussions of sexual orientation and that's, you know, potentially an instruction in sexual orientation. And now you could be liable to lose your teacher's license and all that thing. So that's what I mean. The outgroup there is being binded to the law but they're not being protected by it. And the in-group is being protected by the law, but not being bound to it. And so that's exactly the issue that we have. That also goes for like rich people versus everybody else. Exactly. Too. <laughs> you know, exactly. politicians versus everybody else. Exactly. Ooh. And so to go back to the, the original point about troll legislation is that they do this thing. They use very vague terms, very vague provisions, and then they hone in and say, Tell me where it says that. They did this with the drag bill, right? They were like, well, tell me where it says drag. And then at the signing event where Governor Ron DeSantis signed this at a very uh, right-wing Christian school in Tampa, you know, he explicitly put out a pamphlet about how this was targeted towards drag. So they try to do this. And one of the reasons why it's effective for them is because the when I've been on the phone with journalists trying to explain these bills, local journalists, national journalists, and I'm trying to explain it to them. They're like, well, it doesn't say that. And this is, you know, kind of vague here. I don't know how it's going to be applied. And I'm like, listen, That's the it's point. going to be applied in this way. This is exactly how it's going to happen. People were saying we were exaggerating the harms last year around Dunsay Gay, that it was going to require teachers to put away, you know, pictures of their partners, that it was going to like forcefully closet all the LGBTQ people that are teachers or work in schools. And they were like, well, it doesn't really say that. It says classroom instruction. It doesn't, you know. And then lo and behold, we get all the horror stories about what's being stricken and what people are being told to do. They're literally ripping off safe space signs that have the pride flag. So, you know, it played out exactly how we said it would. And so it's incredibly frustrating when the same journalists come back six months or a year later and they're like, wow, we didn't really think it was going to be used like this. You know, and so the bill's already been in effect for a year. And the interest has died down. And so that's what we're seeing, these incredibly vague laws that they know that they're going to weaponize the state to enforce. It's so, it's so complicated too, because there's so so much minutia, right? How the average trans person, I'd like to think I'm kind of informed. And ultimately, like the information that gets to people, it just is like, I'm scared. I can't do this. Why are we being targeted so much and so intensely? And what becomes the impact? And I th you don't really know the impact till it happens. But then it's like, for us as a community, we aren't even fully clear on exactly what the law is because things are written so vaguely and so broadly. And it just instills fear and terror and what am I going to do? And I need to flee or I need to hide or I need to, because how in the world can we all know 
the specificity. You know what I mean? It's like, that's partly why I want to have you on to get into the specificity. But even as we talk about it, it's so convoluted. It's so, we're just talking a couple states. There's like 20 states that have these gender affirming care bans sports bands like that's a whole other I mean then drag band so we're even just talking about a small portion of what's going on right now so much of it is designed to fear monger not only like non-LGBTQ plus people but to put us in a state of fear and yeah I mean, that is, and not just us, even allies. And so, I, you know, I think that yeah, there's kind of... the doctors, the, the providers, therapists. I mean, I think that's, for me, that's the piece with Arkansas and most of the states is like to refer therapy is, is gender-affirming care and you can't even do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what really, I think, is at the heart of this. I know there's like, everyone's always kind of said the cruelty is the point. I'm like, yes, cruelty is the point, but fear is the means. And... So they really weaponize fear to target the community. And I think a lot of people, and I I know everyone has their very strong opinions as a someone from the left, I, I understand the issues with rainbow and pink washing and like corporate capitalism of pride and co-opting and all that. Absolutely. I'm totally sympathetic. But I think that, that, that even if it is like in a kind of self-interested way to provide uh, you know, more profit and, and kind of monetize our community. At the same time, they also do provide a bit of a backstop towards some of these bills. A lot of the biggest groups that are working behind the scenes to stop some of these bills in previous years had been business groups saying, don't pass these bills. It's going to hurt business. It's anti-business. And what DeSantis did with Disney last year, it's a warning shot. If DeSantis can go after the biggest employer and biggest company in the entire state of Florida that owns basically all of Central Florida and basically target them in this way, what do you think the smaller businesses in Florida are going to do? They're going to just stay quiet, pipe down. And that laid the groundwork for the most radical far-right extremist legislative cycle in Florida in history because the business groups that would ordinarily oppose this legislation just didn't say anything because they were worried that they would lose tax breaks, they'd be targeted by the governor directly. And that state of fear, like that's an element of fascism, but that's what they do. Like whether it's forums targeting trans people online or governors targeting trans people in an entire state. Fear is how they achieve it. They isolate the community from everyone else. They deprive us of allies. They raise the cost, right? So allies mm-hmm. that are working in the school systems or universities now, they're stripping tenure at universities. Also afraid too, because I, I, don't, I don't like to restate these propagandistic talking points, but the propaganda in the right-wing media ecosystem that like immediately anything LGBTQ+, equals grooming, equals pedophilia. What happened with Target, I think, is a really good example of an of, of a company that's been in allyship, at least in their corporate pink wash, you know, in, in the ways in which corporations do allyship. We, and I've done these, I've done these corporate partnerships. And I actually do think it's good. We know what it is. But I remember in 2019, it was the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. And I was walking around Manhattan seeing queer and trans people in every store window. And it was beautiful. I, it, you know, I understand the profit motive. It was 
utterly and completely beautiful, but because they've been able to capture the narrative, so much of this has been about how they've been able to successfully in the media dehumanize trans people, equate us to these things that I don't like to say and repeat. That's been a, a huge part of the narrative too, right? So corporations are not only being attacked in um, ways in which they do their businesses, we're going to revoke your liquor license, blah, blah, blah. It's the public narrative and perception of how they're being painted as well. Yeah. So it's like that conversation needs to just really be interrupted. So it's like the fight needs to be happening on so many different levels, right? What amazes me when I think about like a line defending freedom. And I just, I know it's not just them, but they're at the heart of so much of this. They craft the legislation and give to state legislatures, right? They bring these cases to the Supreme Court. They're not just doing it in the United States, but they're doing it globally. And they're well-funded, well-organized, and relentless. And they're working not just against LGBTQ rights, they're working against like um, uh, reproductive rights. So it becomes like like, where is the funding? Where is the organization? Where is the urgency from quote, yeah. the quote unquote left? Yeah, I, I mean, it is incredibly frustrating seeing this, you know, how we are probably the best funded we've ever been in terms of having nonprofits out there. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm very cynical on nonprofits as any kind of pathway towards liberation, particularly because of the incentive structures there, oftentimes infighting over ridiculous things and grant funding and the, the also the incentives around grants and donations oftentimes misalign with actual movement priorities and what will actually do yes. more for the community. Like we are the best funder that we've ever been. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think I've ever seen a greater mismatch in what the funding is being spent on versus what is like happening what, do you, right what now. is the funding being spent on? I, I, I think like at this point, you know, HRC is probably my biggest like punching bag because I, I think they're kind of emblematic oftentimes of kind of the excess of constantly doing what favors wealthier white gays. Uh, you know, focusing on marriage, because we saw the full scale mobilization last year with the codification of Obergefell, right? Like full court press, social media messaging everywhere. They had celebrities speaking out. They had all the senators here and there. And I was like, wow, so that's what you're capable of. And then three months later, when all these bills are introduced, like nothing, galas, like tons and tons of galas. <laughs> I gagged over that. I gagged over how... I'm like, we were able to get past the filibuster in the Senate for marriage equality. It was bipartisan. So I'm like, okay, like, how did that happen? We can't get an Equality Act. We can't get reproductive rights codified. We can't get a pro act. I mean, there's so many things we can't get. We can't get a minimum wage raise, but we got marriage equality through. And this is when it becomes problematic when people are like, well, the gay folks, you know, they can get what they want, you know, when like there's all these other bills that are like trying to erase our existence. Yeah. Girl, like what? Yeah, what the fuck? exactly. Yeah, I think it's it's partially <laughs> you know the the funding, the the institutional backing around it, the people who are there, right? Like even Republicans have like gay children, and and the Supreme Court kind of had cited already one way on this years ago. So I think it's it seemed like it was easier to pass in that way. But I think infrastructurally, all these orgs had been set up for basically two decades to end at marriage equality. And we saw orgs kind of pack up like uh, it was Empire State Pride Agenda that just like completely shuttered in New York after marriage equality. And they're like, well, that's it. And it was like, what? You know, and that was like after two decades of telling trans people like, oh, don't worry, we'll get to you once we get marriage equality. And then like funding, <laughs> you know, 
came down, and I think to be a little bit fair to HRC, like it's not just them, right? And I think part of it is they didn't see this backlash coming. And I, when I was working at TILDEF, you know, I... TILDEF is the Transgender Legal Defense and Education Fund for those who yeah. don't know. Um, I, I had someone there mm-hmm. uh, who I worked with, you know, in 2021. I was like, look, this is going to probably be one of the worst years for anti-trans. And I like, I was, that's quaint now because given how bad it's gotten since then, but I was like, it's going to be one of the worst mm-hmm. years for trans legislation. And they're like, oh, isn't it bad every year? And I was just like, what? Like it, it just ignored like what was happening. And I was monitoring a lot of this stuff online. And I was like, look, the energy is building. Like this is going to break. Like we, we need to put the systems. And I think, you know, it was partially the disruption from COVID. MCTE obviously like had a bit of an implosion in 2019. And so a lot of like the bigger orgs like were really hampered. And I think GLAD didn't really anticipate because they didn't see this happening. And all of those things kind of conspired together to kind of weaken the movement in a way that we weren't anticipating. And I think also, again, these are really big organizations that cannot turn on a dime. They cannot just immediately pivot to new initiatives. And Mm -hmm. what I've been trying to tell people, I'm like, this isn't 2015 anymore. You can't just go run to write an op-ed in the New York Times and expect that to change opinion. You have to meet people where they're at. And they're online. And the incentive structure online, the, the internal data that Facebook found themselves that online, their people, Facebook found that when people are fighting each other and when there are conspiracy theories, people stay longer on those sites. And so there is a, an algorithmic profit incentive to have us at each other's throats um, and to spread misinformation and propaganda. We should be aware of that just as consumers of social media and how we are online, but then how do we infiltrate? How do we infiltrate online spaces? That really is the work. I mean, if, and, I, and I've done a lot of work with GLAD over the years, but like media now is social media, it's the internet. And like, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's that time again. We'll be right back. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. 
Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. All righty, let's get back to it. So then, in terms of solutions, for me, it feels like there's the messaging piece, there's the legislative piece and the attacks tax there, and then there's the impact on community and getting people resources and getting people access. So there's like three different, there's probably more, but there's, there are three big things around this moment, around anti-trans legislation, right? That like, we have to change the narrative, that we have to fight the bills where we can. And then I think the biggest piece is like the impact on community and how we get people resources. And so much of those resources are mental health as well as like needing to flee if they need to flee. But then... I loved, I, I saw you on Leftist Mafia, the, the, the conversation that you were having that I've had with people here in New York, because I, you know, I used to get my healthcare at Community Health Center. They have a two-year waiting list because people are fleeing to New York. So places that do provide gender-affirming healthcare on a sliding scale, that count, like Calendor, like Aperture here in New York, they are overrun because there's so many people who have left other states. So that there's an impact, community impact on people fleeing to, you know, sanctuary cities or states that those places then become overrun and there's not enough healthcare providers. So is it about us getting more healthcare providers in places like New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco? Like what? Like we've got to serve our community. I, I don't know. I don't even have much hope around the, the legislator, around politicians. The media feels hopeless, but I do know that we know how to take care of each other as in community. That we have found ways to do that through the years. And for me, that like that feels like where the, where the, where the energy needs to be. But what do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think mutual aid, that's why you brought up campaign for some equality. And I think one of the things that they're doing that's innovative is as a pass through for mutual aid, essentially to fund local orgs that don't have the same kind of fundraising capacity. I mean, we see it every time, right? Like these things happen, everyone donates to ACLU. And like, meanwhile, a lot of the orgs that are doing the work of actually keeping people housed, like getting them to appointments, doing all of that work, often doing it on a volunteer basis or for very little money. And, you know, those are the people that need the funding the most, and they're the ones that are least likely to get it. So Campaign for Center Quality is like working to do that. They're also trying to do more emergency grants directly to help people move. And that's something that nonprofits have never been receptive to, because it just is not aligned with the kinds of uh, structures and the way that they're made and governed and regulated uh, to be able to do that. But that's what we're going to really need to be able to do this. When we look at abortion abortion funds have been the biggest critical lifeline to maintaining access to abortion in this country, Mm -hmm. despite it being banned in so many states. 
And we need to, to basically emulate that. We have like gender affirming care funds that help people, you know, relocate out of state or able to get their care or go to appointments out of state so that they can get care if it's banned. Or, you know, especially even for adults now that we're starting to see targeted uh, uh, attacks on adult care. And then finally, you know, I think w- one of the other aspects, as you're mentioning, is we need our allies in blue states and states that want to protect trans rights, not just to pass you know, these kind of sanctuary laws, which they're passing, which are are great. I'm not going to downplay that. But what we need as well are actual resources, right? We need more funding. And that's where the rubber meets the road. And that's where there's actual work to be done. We need states that are passing these safe harbor provisions to additionally say, you know, we're going to fund community centers and we're going to fund and expand care because, you know, I'm here in Boston. It was taking me six months to see my primary care provider. It is it is absolutely having an impact and, and all of these issues post-COVID as well. And so at the same time that there's all this increased demand, there's all these forces that are kind of restricting care and access to care just because there aren't enough providers and there's not enough, you know, the medical system is on the verge of collapse here in the United States after COVID. And so there's all of these issues. And like you said, it's not going to stay limited, right? We're going to have trans people leaving the South and the Midwest coming to these states. And even if they don't leave, they may be traveling round trip spirit with just them for an appointment, right? Like that's what may end up happening. And so as a result of that, we have to be prepared to handle that influx. And it's happening most acutely right now with pediatric care for trans youth, but it's also affecting trans adults as more and more trans adults leave those states. And so just because you think you might be safe in a blue state now, you're not. This will affect you and this will impact you. And, you know, God forbid a Republican come in 2024, they're going to push this policy nationally. Which is terrifying, horrifying. And I think for people who hear that and think, oh, that's not going to happen. We can't imagine that. We're in a post-Dobbs United States. There's a bill in Congress already introduced in the House that would effectively ban most gender-affirming care coverage. It wouldn't ban it outright, but basically make it impossible to get it covered by insurance at all. Was that Marjorie Taylor Greene's bill? (laughs) Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And just for people's peace of mind, that's it's not likely to pass. But (laughs) <laughs> no, it's not likely to pass now. Oh, God, there's so much. Maybe I didn't hear you say this, but another expert in this said, looking ahead, the bills that like didn't pass this year that seem crazy and extreme are going to seem less crazy and extreme next year and probably will be passed. So it's getting worse. So I do think the one thing that corporations can do, and since corporations run the country, is like is um, employees can fight back. What I think was good at Disney is that the employees were like, no, this is not acceptable. And so whenever I I do my corporate talks, I've done my, you know, diversity inclusion things at corporations. And I, I always like to encourage employees at corporations to push back and like to find out what politicians the corporations are giving money to. And if they don't align with the, these alleged values of diversity and inclusion, then challenge that as much as you can collectively within those corporations. I know corporations aren't going to save us, but like, let's see what we can do since they're, you know, running the country anyway. Um, yeah. Anyway, (laughs) sorry, just a big sigh. (laughs) This is a conversation that could go on for hours and hours, but to be continued. Yeah. I like to end the podcast with the question, what else is true? And this is taken from my trauma resilience 
therapy and that thing that we started the podcast with, with the idea of both and, even when things seem catastrophic and devastating, and they are in the world right now for, for LGBTQ plus folks, something else is true. Something else exists in the world that can get us through, that can bring us joy, that can create resilience in our nervous systems, that can permeate collectively. So for you today, Alejandra, what else is true? What else is true? Uh, (laughs) um, Yeah, I think for me, it's just that they can never take our joy. Like they can try as they might, they can make it more difficult. They can do and say and pass all these bills. But at the end of the day, when I was, you know, I was in Fire Island and I was in New York City over the weekend during Pride. And despite like all of this terrible things that have gone on, I just still see a beautiful community coming together and just seeing that we still have each other and we still have so much love for each other and support and we are all going to have each other's backs. And so, you know, I think this is a temporary aberration. I think long term, like we are, we're still going to win. We may have a few setbacks and it may take years to recover from, but I think love will win in the end. And I think our community has has gone through much, much worse and we've come out stronger on the other end. Absolutely. Without a test, there is no testimony. And we are being tested right now. And our testimony will be incredibly powerful when we overcome. Thank you so much, Alejandra. I hope... I really want you two to leave this conversation not feeling, you know, devastated and traumatized. Like, and for everybody out there listening, I want them to leave with more information, but also like, yes, all of this is happening, but you may maybe didn't know it was happening before this conversation. And so you were like doing whatever. So now you have the information. We're going to take what action we can take today and on a daily basis to combat this, to be there for each other, to do what we can, and then we're going to go and find our joy. And we're going to go and look into the eyes of the people we love. And if we don't have those people, you know, do something that we love that brings us joy. So yes, all of this is horrific and other things are true as well. What is it? Legisla- trolling, trolling? What was the phrase? Um, troll legislation. Troll legislation. We got to laugh at this stuff. Um, find those places and those spaces to laugh. Congrats on your engagement. And thank you so much for spending this time with me today. Thank you for all the vital work that you do. Thanks so much, Alejandra. Thanks. Well, that was intense, wasn't it? (laughs) Oh, Alejandra Caraballo. I'm so grateful to people like Alejandra who are doing the work every single day and getting us information, tracking all of this. Um, I don't want you to leave this podcast depressed and feeling hopeless. I want you to come away with things that you can do and um, something that you can take away to regulate your nervous system as well so that you don't feel traumatized and scared and hopeless around all this. So check out this campaign for Southern Equality. If you can't donate, elevate their mission and share the link. And maybe for people who can donate, they can donate. I also suggest the um, Trans Justice Funding Project. And um, yeah, have our structural critique, have our awareness, and then go and love on each other. And don't let any of this take away your joy to be alive and to hopefully be yourself. All of this 
it's impossible to not have this messaging like seep in if you are out there struggling with your identity with like loving yourself as who you are with trying to make the decision to transition um just know that who you are is valid that the person that you know you are inside needs to live out loud like as hard as my journey has been i would not replace it for anything in the world because choosing to live authentically choosing to tell the truth to myself about myself and then take action that's that's what transition was for me the second i told the truth and i took action around that truth my life changed for the better so if you're out there struggling in this world in this environment and it's hard know that the truth shall set you free the truth shall set you free Thank you so much for listening to The Laverne Cox Show. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share with everyone you know. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Laverne Cox, and on Facebook at Laverne Cox For Real. Until next time, stay in the love. The Laverne Cox Show is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially 
especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.